At this time, we'll turn to Micah, chapter 7. Micah 7, and because God's Word is holy, and we want to honor the Lord, we'll stand as we have the reading of Micah 7, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord, Micah 7, verse 1. Woe is me, for I am like the fruit pickers, like the grape gatherers. There is not a cluster of grapes to eat, or a first ripe fig which I crave. The godly person has perished from the land, and there is no upright person among men. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince prince asks also the judge for a bribe, and the great man speaks the desire of his soul, so they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright like a thorn hedge. The day when you post your watchmen, your punishment will come. Then their confusion will occur. Do not trust in a neighbor. Do not have confidence in a friend. From her who lies in your bosom, guard your lips. For son treats father contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless this, your holy word, that we would receive it and believe it, and that you would help us to gain light and insight for how we may live in a way that's pleasing before your sight. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. The book of Micah is one that many would say is a lot of gloom and doom because it's talking about a coming judgment that is going to come upon the land. And this is a prophecy that doesn't merely predict the destruction of and um, captivity of the people of the northern kingdom, but of the southern kingdom as well. Um, there are threats that God is saying that he will level Samaria and he's going to level it down to its bare foundations. But also his indictment is against Judah as well. Now, honestly, if not for the hope of the gospel, much of this book would be very dark, would be very hard to hear. But I do want to review the beautiful hope of the gospel found in Micah He already told us, um, and if you want to remember this and you want to learn about God's kingdom and what God is doing um, in foretelling of the the kingdom of Christ and also of the Messiah, an easy way to remember it is Micah 4, 1 through 5, and then you can skip on to Micah 5, 1 through 5. So let's look at Micah 4, 1 through 5. This is the beautiful hope of the gospel in this uh, book of Micah. Verse 1 of Micah 4. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains 
It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his, under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Though all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. And then the coming of the Messiah is foretold in 5, starting in verse 1. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughters, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. So the coming of the, the greatness of the coming of the kingdom chapter 4, 1 through 5, and then a description of the Messiah, where he was to be born, and that he was to be the ruler of the people, to be even born of a woman. But as we get to today's text, there is again an indictment over the sins of the people uh, of both Judah and Israel. In uh, chapter 7, we're going to see two main points. We're going to see uh, an, this illustration of Micah, the fruit inspector and picker. So Micah, the fruit inspector and fruit picker. And secondly, we're going to look at the bad fruit of the Hebrews. So let's look at this first main point. The uh, Micah, the fruit inspector and the fruit picker. Verses 1 and 2. Woe is me! For I am like the fruit pickers, like the grape gatherers. There is not a cluster of grapes to eat, or a first ripe fig which I crave. The godly person has perished from the land, and there is no upright person among men. So this is an illustration of Micah being like a gardener maybe, or a fruit picker, someone who's going to harvest. He's walking through fields of vines full of grapes. He's walking through trees, and maybe you could call it an orchard of, of uh, figs. 
but he's looking for fruit. He delights in fruit. He even delights in the first picked fruit of the figs. But when he walks around and he's looking for fruit, he finds nothing good. It's all bad, terrible, worthless fruit. Um, when I think of my blueberries, I think of the birds that, that bite them. They always go after the, they always go after the, um, the nice ripe ones. And then they do enough damage just to ruin the blueberries. It's no good anymore. It's kind of like that. All these, all these fruits are just worthless. They're rotting and they're not good to eat. He says, woe is me, is he can't find any good fruit that he craves. Now, what he's talking about here is not really fruit. He's talking about people. He's saying that among the people, as he looks around his covenant fellow Jews, he's looking around and he doesn't see any good fruit at all. Only bad, worthless fruit among his own people. And that's the reason why God had decided to destroy both the northern and southern kingdom and to bring the people into captivity. Now, before we look at the bad fruit, um, I want us to look a little bit at the notion of being fruit inspectors. I heard a Christian years back say, I don't think Christians ought to be fruit inspectors. Well, when someone makes a claim like that, your first question should be, well, maybe I should examine Scripture. Someone says, Christians shouldn't be fruit inspectors. Well, what, what does Scripture say? And where is it written? Is there a passage that says, you shall not inspect fruit among people? Let's look, uh, hold your place there in Micah, but we want to look at Matthew 7. Let's turn to Matthew 7. Verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. So if the church is looking for someone to be an elder, a ruling elder, or a teaching elder, a pastor, in order to not get a false prophet, or to get someone who's speaking heresy, or to get someone who is going to turn the church um, in a way that is against God, it says here clearly that you are to examine their fruit to see if they're a good tree, in other words, if they're truly one who is in, rooted in Christ. And what other place do we find to inspect the fruit of those for office? 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 10. Let's look there. 1 Timothy 3. Verse 
1 Timothy 3, 1 through 10. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not be conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if if they are beyond reproach. Um, so here we have examples of what fruit you should expect if you're looking for uh, an elder or a, an overseer, elder, uh, sometimes called bishop. But uh, if you're looking for someone in the church, there's fruit to inspect in the lives of an individual you're looking for for either an elder or a deacon. So I ask, should we be fruit inspectors? I would say in these cases, yes. Now, we have to keep in mind that um, no man has all these fruits perfectly, but if someone has the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, then we know that the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of an individual that you're looking for to be an, an, an elder, a pastor, or a deacon. I'm also a firm believer that if you're a person who wants to get married, don't just ask a guy, are you a Christian? And then automatically think, oh, he's a great candidate. He says he's a Christian. Well, don't just even ask him if he goes to church. That's not good enough either. I think either young or older person who wants to get married, they need to look at the fruit of the life of the individual if they are going to pursue marriage. Does that person demonstrate fruit of the Holy Spirit? Now keep in mind that the list from Galatians 5 is not a full, complete, exhaustive list. There are are other fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, should we be fruit inspectors? I believe yes. But another warning is this. I don't believe God wants us to be those who are micromanaging or snooping too much into the lives of individuals or others. I do believe that we have to be kind and gracious to others. So maybe some people feel that they've been oppressed by their church leadership and maybe in some groups that they feel like somebody's thumb has pressed down them onto the point where they're very fearful and they can't stand it. Well... You have to keep in mind, the scripture does say that those who rule over you, elders and 
pastors are those who keep charge of your soul. So you, you can imagine they're going to want to ask personal questions that might demonstrate some fruit of grace in your life. Um, but still, uh, I know of situations where somebody wants to have accountability partners. I, I know a group of men and some group of pastors in the area, and one particular church has a, an accountability group among young men. And that, to me, that seems like a, a good thing to do because they, they might ask personal questions to one another to keep each other accountable. So you're, you're inviting someone into your life to inspect and you basically you have a lot, a lot more closer oversight in such a situation. Um, I do think everyone needs that. But let's look a little bit at some of this bad fruit given in the text uh, this evening. Uh, verses 2 through 7 is, again, not a conclusive list of the bad fruit found among the, the Jewish people during the time of Micah. I'm going to go through a little review. In chapter 1, um, there's mention of high places. They were no doubt building and worshiping at high places. There's mention of idols and images as well, which is described as the word with the word idol high I'm sorry harlotry. So it's they had idols, images, and they were committing spiritual harlotry by worshiping false gods. Chapter two, they were scheming iniquity, not just on occasion, but even when they would lay down on their beds, scheming iniquity. They coveted and they seized the fields of others. They were liars. Chapter three they hated good, and they loved evil. Uh, they had false prophets who would divine or, or tell a prophecy for money. They had leaders who pronounced judgment for a bribe in chapter 3. I mean, I can go on and on, but there's a great list of terrible fruit among why God is angry and he's going to bring this people to judgment. Now, again... God promised that he was going to destroy their idols. They should have. If they were convicted by God in what they were doing, they should have smashed those things themselves. But they refused to set down their precious idols, so God was going to bring in a foreign power. He was going to besiege them. He was going to burn their cities with fire, and then he was going to then smash up their idols and burn them with fire that way. But let's look at the bad fruit under um, our text today. And we're going to look at it under a couple of headings. The first is the unrighteous. The second is the untrustworthy. And then the third is the contemptuous. Let's look at the, the unrighteous. That's the middle of verse 2 and, through, and verse 3. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net, covering evil. Both hands do it well. The prince asks also the judge for a bribe, and a great man speaks the desire of his soul. So they weave it together. So they were an unrighteous, unholy people, and even um, so... Earlier chapters, as mention of covetousness and stealing and theft and idolatry, but here we have those who are committing bloodshed. 
They're waiting in bloodshed and they're hunting others. Um, the, the untrustworthy, verses uh, 4 and 5. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright like a thorn hedge. The day when you post your watchmen, your punishment will come. Then their confusion will occur. Do not trust in a neighbor. Do not have confidence in a friend. From her who lies in your bosom, guard your lips. So he's giving an illustration here of the people being so bad that to try to trust these Jews was like sticking your hand in briar patches or patches of thorns. A briar is another name for a thorn. Um, in other words, if you trust these people, you're going to get stuck. You're going to get stabbed. You're going to get hurt. And that's how bad they were. Um, and I believe that what follows here is that Micah is getting so cynical. And I, the word cynical means being overly distrustful. That he says this in verse 5. Do not trust in a neighbor. And do not have confidence in a friend. Now, I would say you would be in error to always try to live like that. What if you try to pull this verse out of the Bible and say, I'm going to live my life to never trust in a neighbor and to never have confidence in any friend whatsoever. I think you'd have a hard life. I don't think you could apply that. I think he was being a little bit cynical here. But ultimately, yes, the Bible does say that God and his word must be trusted above all. God and his word must be trusted above all. A key easy passage to remember is Romans 3, 4. Let God be true and every man found a liar. Or let God be found true though every man be found a liar. Depending on the translation. In other words, I don't care how long you know someone. If they tell you something that is in opposition to God's word, let God be true and every man be a liar. Trust God ultimately first and foremost. Um, you've, you've heard of that apologetic called presuppositional apologetics. A presupposition is something that is an ironclad belief that no matter what challenges come against it, it always remains steadfast. So we must presume, our presumption must always be that God is true and every other person cannot be trusted in comparison to God being the ultimate trustworthy one. Now having said that, there are people in this church that I trust more than a lot of my own very close blood family. I sincerely say that. In relationships, you have to have a degree of trust. In a marriage, you have to have trust. Um, in a lot of um, ways, it's important for a husband and wife to have trust and families to have trust one with another. Let's look next at the contemptuous. Verse 6. For son treats father contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother. 
daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Now the Hebrew word here for contemptuous could also be translated disgraceful. And you think of a father being treated contemptuously by a son. He's being disgraced. He's being dishonored. Rather than keeping the fifth commandment, the son treats the father with revile. Or a daughter treats a mother or father with revile and dishonor rather than honor. That's what it means to, that they were being contemptuous. In other words, the people here had no care of keeping the fifth commandment whatsoever. Daughter rises up against her mother in the same fashion. In other words, rather than respecting and honoring the mother, she's rising up in opposition to her own mother. And that's one of the things God was displeased with. And what a terrible situation to have a family where it feels like you have enemies even within your own family, where you have contempt with your child and your child has contempt with you. And um, I would say that this was something that God is not pleased with here in this time. He's not pleased with it now. God wants us to have families that honor and respect Um, and keep him central, but also to keep the fifth commandment central as well. But at the same time, he wants us to have families where there's peace rather than disrespect, dishonor, fighting, and dishonor. So, again, are we to be fruit inspectors? Yes, you're to be a fruit inspector regarding looking at the church in whether or not someone is fit for office, whether they're to be a teaching elder, a ruling elder, or a deacon, there has to be inspection of fruit. If you're going to get married, don't just take people's words for it, because words could be cheap. What's the evidence of a Christian faith? Fruit of the Holy Spirit. In the same fashion, um, the people of Israel at this time had bad fruit. They had fruit of wickedness, Uh, they had fruit of unrighteousness, of untrustworthiness, and of contempt with one another. And here in today's text gives some of the reason why God was angry with them, and why he was going to wipe them out, and why he was going to um, both siege Samaria, and then also siege Jerusalem, and bring the people into captivity. But then afterwards, he brings in the new kingdom where Jesus Christ rules and reigns and comes in as the Messiah, the one who taught with authority, the one who treated others in a righteous manner, the one ultimately who is the only human, because he was God and man, who was the only ultimate trustworthy person. If there's any man that you can trust in, it is the man, Christ Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the one who taught us not to live with contempt and dishonor toward one another, but to love one another as he has loved us. Let's pray together.
We thank you, our glorious Lord. We thank you for our blessed Lord Jesus, who came, who was born of a woman, um, born in the city of Bethlehem, born of a virgin, who brought in his holy kingdom, and that through him we know that the law, the authoritative law, was taught and has gone forth from Zion, even from the very mouth of Jesus. And we thank you, our blessed Lord, that you have given us Jesus Christ as Messiah, the righteous and holy one, the trustworthy one, and the one who brings peace, who is our peace. Help us, we pray, to bear much fruit. Help us not to be like those who were during the days of Micah, who were bad fruit among the vineyard and bad fruit in the orchard. But we pray that you would help us to bear forth fruit in consistence uh, with our profession of faith. Forgive us of our sins and help us not to live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again for us. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to uh, 447. If thou but suffer God to guide thee. Let's stand and sing 447.